You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Red record button is on, Bracken, and I want to know... How um, your skiing is going? It has been between 30, uh, not even, uh, most days since I last skied have been between 20 and 40 and rain. Hmm. It should be snow. The climate tells you that snow should be happening, but it manages to rain. So, so there's been not a single occurrence. I've got all my mental reps in. I've got it dialed in what I'm doing wrong, and it's not going to help at all. It won't, and I highly would would suggest staying away from icy snow if you're trying to learn technique. So we don't even have snow now. Well, we got dumped on here. Oh, that. And I went out skiing, Bracken. And you're just going to rub it in my face. And it was glorious. I looked like a professional athlete out there. I even thought about dressing like this homeless man you are going to dress as. So I didn't look the part. And I said, no, I'm going to go out there and get after it. Put my full craft suit on. And crushed Bracken. You dress for the job you want, not the job you have, Kirk. That's that's exactly right. I'll tell you what, though. This reminded me of how damn good skiing is. And I really, really, really want you to like get good at this so we can have a skiing training weekend and do everything together. Because I'm going to put a point of reference for people out there. And I'm trying to get others to ski after going out again for the first time this season and realizing how beneficial it is. I did a 10-mile run in the snow, kind of worked hard on Friday. And I, my heart rate average is like 158 or something. I was pushing for the terrain. Then I went out and cross-country skied on Sunday for roughly the same time. Pushed pretty hard up the hills and then just sucked wind, recovering downhills and yada yada. And for that effort, I averaged 156 beats for, like for like an hour and 20 f- on f- feet. And it was more fun, more exhilarating, and less tedious than that 10-mile run. Think about the threshold work that can be done on cross-country skis bracket. It's incredible. I know. It's what Atkins talked about in this interview, right? That you can go out and you can put four hours to six hours of threshold work in on a bike each week because you're not taking impact. Yeah. So anyways, it made me think of you, and I just really wanted to rub in your face that I got two nice, somewhat threshold efforts in, and one of them was on skis. So I'm excited for you to learn your technique. The day I left the cross-country ski trails, I picked my skis up and I walked out, you know, dragging, dragging my tail behind me, head downcast. And this guy pulled up and he hopped out of his car and just took off running across the snow and up into the woods, up into the trails. And I thought, that should be me. (laughs) That should be me. (laughs) I didn't get a workout in today and he's going to have an awesome run. But what you are going to like is that Strava, obviously, you know, you put the cross-country ski function on your watch and Strava is going to tell you exactly where you stand with the people and comparative, and it's going to tell you your improvements. And I think it's going to be a really good tool. So I'm all in on improving. I'm just depressed right now. Ah, we'll fix it. So uh, tell me about what your brother's doing. Well, the end of the year for the Crocker boys is usually a pretty important time because we have this self-imposed goal to break five minutes in the mile for as many continuous years as possible. 
because we saw someone that did that. We when we used to get Runners World when we were like twelve years old, someone had like a forty some year streak going, and we decided we were going to try to do that in our life. So I think his sub five streak started when he was probably thirteen or fourteen, and mine started when I was fifteen. That's fast. He was running that fast as like a thirteen or fourteen year old sub five. As a freshman, whatever that age is, I don't know what age. I don't know ages. Fourteen or fifteen, depending. Okay. And last year, he did it on December 31st. Under the wire. (laughs) And he had missed a day or two in a row because his pattern has been don't run for several months or have an injury. He uh, forgot what what all happened to him last year and then quick try to do it at the end of the year. And so this year he started to, he decided he's going to be way ahead of schedule. So on the 26th, (laughs) he went out and tried. Now he had a hernia surgery this year and a couple things. So he's he pulled his groin twice. He's in no sort of fitness. But as anyone who knows my brother knows, he's kind of has that freaky ability to just always be fast. Uh-huh. So he went out on this flat bike path and came through the half at 2.36. Uh-oh. And dropped out 100 meters later. When was this? Uh, the 26th. Okay. And so then last night, he said, I, I got to go try again. I'm going after it. Uh, well, we'll see you. And he just sent a picture of him in the elevator from his apartment building with his mask on and his running shoes in his hand. So he ran over to the, the path, put his flats on, and ran 443. <laughs> what? <laughs> 443? Uh, when he yeah. dropped out when he was slower than 510 pace the day prior? Yeah. yeah. How does that happen? I think that was probably the first time he tried running faster than six minute pace in months and it just hit him like a freight train and then moved on. That's incredible. So how long is the streak gone for you guys? Well, mine is since 2002. Okay. So you got like 18 years strong right now. Yeah. And his would be probably 16 years. That's not bad. I don't think I have that. I think I missed a year or two in there where I wasn't going to run fast. So I I I can't do the same. I, I've had a year or two where I had to just go out and do one uh-huh. where, where I think it was probably where I was in my best fitness in Colorado or I hadn't broken five in a mile. You could just do it at the snap of a finger if you, if you wanted to though. Yeah. I probably at that time I could have run a, a full 5k, all of them back to back. Cause I think that the year before I ran 1542 and I was in better shape, but I just hadn't run one. If I was doing faster than five minute pace, it was probably thousand meter or less work and if i was doing Mm. longer than a mile it was probably 502 505 so uh, one of my intervals i just had to dip under at the last second to keep my streak going wow well congratulations macaulay he did it how does somebody do that off of like i'm understanding like very little running that's just the way he's the same guy that at altitude one day he hadn't run in six months and so he went to the track to do an 800 meter time trial to hurt and feel terrible about himself and get back into fitness. And he ran 159.1 at 7,000 feet altitude. That's insane. He's just, he's got that ability. He, I mean, he's, he's much, much more talented than I, we've talked about it. And what's the reason, what's the reason he doesn't get into any sort of competitive sport, endurance sport at this stage of life? He doesn't love competing. He likes running. He does not like racing that much. And he gets hurt really, really easily. Mm. And so he's the kind of person that's like Ross in that episode. He's all in or all out. He'll decide to start running. He'll get a pair of shoes and he'll go out and start tempoing hard right away. He just can't help it but run hard. And then he's got imbalances that pop up as soon as he starts running hard. And then an injury pops up. And then he's like, all right, screw it. I'll lift for a while. So anyways, the Crocker family made it. 
through 2020, COVID couldn't slow us down, Kirk. And we got our, our sub fives and we're moving on. COVID, knee surgeries, just lack of training, procrastination. Survive in advance. Survive in advance. Well, speaking of 2020, Bracken, it's the end of the year. It is the end of the year. Yeah. And I would say um, we've been going strong with this podcast. Uh, we started in January, so we're approaching our year mark as well. We are coming up on 100 episodes. Suck that, Matt B. Davis. <laughs> we're going to make it a year. Take it all. We are, is this 96? Somewhere around there, yeah. I'll have to look. Yeah, we're closing in on the hundo. We're going to have to do something nice for our anniversary, you and I, Kirk. I'm going to take you out to a nice steak dinner, Bracken. Oh, I'm in. So, so we thought today, we just, you know, it's been a year. There's been a lot of lessons learned that we can take into next year. Thought we'd kind of take a, a recap or look back so we can look forward on what 2020 was, the major takeaways, and, you know, how to apply it into, uh, hopefully, knock on wood, a little more consistent and race-filled year. Yeah, this is our year in review, and we want to highlight the things that kept popping up for us over this year. You know, a lot of gear websites do their gear of the year, and race websites talk about their performances of the year. We're going to talk about our training topics and advice and takeaways of the year, and maybe we'll throw in our gear of the year as well. Who knows? Uh -huh. Yeah, I know. We could talk about gear for hours. So where would you say we start this conversation? Where do you like to start this thing, Bracken? The single most asked question I received this year was on polarized training. Mm. It all comes back to that. That is the core premise of what we believe as athletes and coaches. And it is the big hurdle to overcome for a new runner to the sport or a runner with old habits is how do I embrace polarized training? Running easy on easy days, hard on hard days. I would guess we've gotten over 100 messages throughout 2020 between the two of us on just that one topic alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, and more specific questions about what zones to be in and when to do what uh, in regards to hard and easy efforts and how cross training is involved in polarized training. It's a, it's a mixed bag there for sure. And I think it's actually talking about going into 2021. It is as important as ever. If you are in the colder wintry climates, um, that pace can be humbling. The conditions can be humbling. You need to remind yourself even more so now to keep the efforts in check, regardless as to what your pace says due to like bad conditions. So we got to bring it back to center this time of year, don't we? Yeah. And so I'm just going to give our, our 20,000 foot view of what polarized training is and why we need to do it. So we run easy or we run hard and we spend very little time in between there. And the vast majority of our time is spent easy. And that statement right there is what gets people. They're okay running easy and they love running hard. But, but as soon as they find out that three quarters, 80%, somewhere in there of their time is actually the easy and only 20, 25% of the time is spent hard. That's where the buy-in stops. And it's important to remember that A, you're running easy so often so that you can run really hard on your hard days. Mm -hmm. So you have permission to just rip it up on those days. And then B, remember that all the scientific and physiological benefits of aerobic development work they occur at low levels just as well as they occur at moderate levels. And so yeah. at that point, you're just accruing needless damage. And then you can't hit your hard days as hard. And then you can't get as much out of them. I got a an email I just read from an athlete this morning 
been working with her. Michelle, shout out to Michelle, working on your easy days so your hard days can go hard. And I got a message from her. We're, we're working on this constantly. She started doing her recovery days. I saw 171 heart rate average on a recovery day, I believe, once. Point being, we were figuring it out, okay? And she stuck to her guns. She's read books on running easy, how to run easy. Like she is a student. And damn it, I couldn't be more proud. And she's averaging in the 130s for her recovery efforts now, at least the last two weeks. But she said something to me and it was the fact that she was slogging last week and I had mile repeats on her agenda for Saturday. And I got a midweek email basically saying like, oh, I'm feeling you know sluggish and I just feel so slow and looking at my pacing on my recovery days. And you're going to know how this story ends. Then she goes out on Saturday and has the best workout she's had since I've known her. Her pacing was phenomenal. Once she got into it, she was floating, yet within control, yet a hard effort. And it was like, she's like, aha, I would not have been able to do this if I didn't follow the recovery protocol in between. And that's all it's going to take is that moment for any of you who are still on the fence about this. Is it's okay to slog because it will click. It will pop. Once you get into that routine and habit, it always pays off. And it's always fun to see that aha moment for an athlete, isn't it, Brack? And I'm sure you've experienced a bunch of them. So much fun. It's so gratifying because we even start to doubt ourselves. Mm-hmm. When you're in the midst of block after block and people are starting to get bored with the work, you start to think, maybe this doesn't work for this person. And then mm-hmm. you retest and they pop off sometimes and you think, yep, thank goodness they did. Because not only do I feel like I did something good for them, but it re-cements to myself that that's how we do it. Yeah. And progress isn't linear when you talk like, like, oh, every run, I should just get better and faster than the last one because that's how progress works. No, you go and have a recovery run and your legs feel like trash and you run 10 minute pace and you feel like garbage about your effort and you can't predict it sometimes. But then all of a sudden you go out for your next 5k time trial, your hard threshold workout. And you're like, holy shit, I'm hitting times I've never hit before. But two days later, you were running a slog and you were embarrassed about your pacing and you felt like garbage. But it's those big highlight effort popping workouts that really, you know, are what are enhancing your fitness. And so um, if you haven't experienced it yet, I really hope that you do in 2021. And just, so I think it's a good place to start with the polarized training bracket. And I think that leads into nicely the second biggest pushback I've received. And this is from athletes, from people I work with, and that is off season and periodization. Mm -hmm. Because in off season, you gain a little bit of weight you don't do as much intensity, you don't do as much speed work, and you don't generally feel fast. And then you do your base building, and you still remember how fast you felt in championship season, and you don't feel that way. And you think, I worked for nine months to get to that point, and now I just took three weeks off, and we didn't run, and I've just lost all of this. And this same exact conversation we have constantly with athletes, which is, you must trust the fact that nine months of fitness can't be lost in two weeks and then Mm -hmm. can't be lost in six to eight weeks of base building and then can't still be lost in your next threshold block or whatever your next stage is. It's just waiting to be accessed. Yes. Is what it is. Yes. And, and that's tough. And that's the, for me, that has been the single biggest athlete complaint I've had this year is I'm getting really, really nervous that I've gone too long without a lot of intensity and I'm about to, and I'm, if, if I'm not already lost it, I'm about to lose everything we worked towards last year. And right now we're getting it the most considering yeah. the phase of training that we're in. I've got it. Sean, if you're listening, you needed to hear that right there, brother, you know, exactly <laughs> where you're at for good reason. It is tough though. It's tough because if you actually feel slower 
ideally in an ideal world, we'd constantly feel better and faster and reaching new peaks and heights with our fitness and competition. But it isn't true. Go back and listen to the Lindsay Webster uh, episode that we just did. And she said, you got to get slow to get fast. And I, I don't know if that's a direct correlation to how I feel, but it represents what I believe. And that is you got to slow it down. You got to relay the foundation in order to build a new peak. And so like, that's a tough one. It's a tough one, mm-hmm. but it's important. You can't sustain the peak. as long you, you think back and think of the glory days and how you were really fit and you ran well, but it is unsustainable long-term. And eventually you're going to slowly get worse and worse and worse if you try to sustain that type of fitness. That's why the ebb and flow and periodization matters. It is. And we as athletes, as competitive creatures, we focus so much on what our ceiling looks like that we forget that our single most important metric might be our floor. Mm-hmm. Because the better your floor gets, the more even your performances get and the higher your ceiling can be. And mm-hmm. so we get done with championship season and we're up near our ceiling and it feels so awesome. And then you start your off season and you start to see that ceiling getting further and further away from your hands. And mm-hmm. you forget that, oh man, my floor is much closer to my ceiling than it was last year. Where last year we started the off season and I tested out at six minute miles. And now this one I'm testing out at 540. That should tell you my floor is 20 seconds higher, but you're saying, but last time I tested out at championship season, I was 530. I'm already 10 seconds per mile slower. And the answer is no, you were 20 seconds per mile faster than you were at this point last season, which now gives you the ability to be 20 seconds per mile faster at championship season than you were last season. And so it's Mm -hmm. the perspective that matters. But off season is about raising your floor so that in the later parts of the season, you can raise your ceiling. And your athlete story reminded me of mine. I, there's a, a, a girl I work with named Liz, and she's actually from up in your neck of the woods. She and I had our first off season together hmm. and we came off some downtime. She had some injury that she worked through with a lot of power hiking. And then we moved into base building for May of this year. So we did our base building. We did some tactical little bits of intensity in there. And then we tested out everything. Mile, 5K, treadmill challenge, max gain. And she said that she did not want to test out because it was just going to be depressing. And she PR'd four out of four. No shit. PR'd her mile, PR'd her 5K in Minnesota in December. Congratulations, Liz. And it was so huge. A, selfishly for me. It's validating to your training. Yeah, it's validation that, okay, I didn't lead her astray. And so good for her because now it's like I thought I wasn't super fit and I hit PRs. What am I going to do this year when we start building on top of that? So these stories aren't just one-offs. This is what continually happens when you embrace an off-season in a periodized build. And I would also like to add that during the off season or the base phase, as we call it, we're not giving ourselves any opportunities to run that fast and really even display what we're working towards very often as well. Once we get to the flashier workouts and closer to race season, like we're giving ourselves the opportunity to display it. But during this phase, like we're really not. And so, so I would, I think, I think that's a good point to be made is that like, I'm guessing all you are in that off season base phase right now. And it's okay to embrace it and feel a little slow and having a hard time opening up your stride and maybe even feeling a little inefficient if you do try to run fast. Like, I wouldn't say that's uncommon right now. Just trust that it's going to it's gonna pay off. And don't, and don't shortcut the process by suddenly being like, you know what, I just need a couple 400-meter repeat interval workouts to really get myself feeling good again. I might tell you to not do that. I might tell you to just be patient and sit in this for a little while longer. That's all. 
I'm fully in agreement. Mm-hmm. Something, uh, well, you had one more point to that, didn't you? Periodization and uh, something else. No, and just embracing the off season. Oh yeah, okay. There's a guy, Rob, I work with, who I've referenced on here before, who we had our, last year was our first off season um, at the end of the year. And he really wasn't sure if he was okay with that long of a strength build and that long away from intensity. And then he came out of it and said, I can't believe how much I still have left over from last year. Mm-hmm. And it was like that turning point where suddenly he just, he bought in. And then again, this year, we, we recently did a little bit of an off season. He said, you know what? I, I have those old demons coming up. I'm feeling the resistance to, I don't want to do this, but I remembered because I looked back at my training log that this should work. And, and so we shortened his off season a little bit because mm-hmm. he'd proven that he didn't need as long of one. And once again, he was right back to doing what, what he wanted to be doing. And and he had to fight himself. He had to say, I know now I've done it once, but I still don't fully trust it. Mm. Well, it's just a funny, it's a funny mindset to be at where I know it works, but it still feels so foreign that I can't, I can't accept that I got to get slower to get faster. We're stubborn humans. And that almost doesn't even make logical sense. So I understand why people would fight. I've been fighting it my whole life. You kidding me as a middle distance runner who thrives on going fast and you too, like trust us guys, we don't have this conquered. It is, you know, still a work in progress for me anyways. You're a little better at it than I am, but I get it. I'm with you. I think, um, Next thing I want to chat about, Bracken, since we talked about that, I think think something that we've really, really hammered this year, and I think we've got a lot of questions about this as well, is just the word threshold, lactate threshold, tempo work threshold. We talk about it so casually and nonchalantly. It's infused in every single episode. And I just think it's good to dive back into the reminder of threshold, why it's important, and what it is. I think it's been a theme right behind periodization. It absolutely is. Your anaerobic threshold determines your worth as a racer. Not as a person, not as an <laughs> athlete, but as a racer. As a racer of anything over freaking five minutes. Yeah. It, it basically speaks to, depending on who you look to, there's different definitions of it, but it's just basically how long you can work at your highest level of output before you can no longer sustain your work. Before you start slowing down because your body cannot keep that effort up any longer. Yeah. And so an untrained athlete can keep that output for about 40 minutes, 30 to 40. And a trained athlete can keep it for up to an hour. Mm -hmm. But it is a little bit more scientifically. You have this constant battle in your body where you have waste products being released in the course of energy creation and athletic exertion. And one of those products is lactate acid combined with hydrogen ions. Those two pieces there are what signal your body losing the battle against (laughs) your work output. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly producing lactate acid, but you're also constantly buffering it and absorbing it and using it as energy. Mm -hmm. However, the more you produce, the harder you have to work to buffer that out. And eventually you lose that battle and you start accumulating more than you can clear out. It's like, um, it's like a five gallon bucket with a hole in the bottom and you're pouring lactate in there and pouring it in there. And pretty soon you pour it in at a rate in which it can't leak out as fast as it's been putting in. It overflows. And that would be your lactate threshold, which means you lose, you've (laughs) lost the ability to put. Yeah. And, and regardless of when you get there, you're on borrowed time. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we can talk a little bit about that right after this. But the point is that once you get to the point where you're producing more than you can clear out, you are considered over your lactate threshold. 
And if you are clearing out at a rate that is faster than what you produce, you are under it. And if you are clearing at the exact same rate, you are bumping right up against your lactate threshold or your anaerobic threshold. And so that right there is at that highest rate where you're clearing just as much as you're producing, you can hold that for 40 to 60 minutes. That's called racing. That's called racing. And the better you get at that, the harder you can work at those same lactate clearance efforts, the better you race. Because then if you stay just below that, you can hold it for a long time. And now you're faster at that pace than what you used to be. And so raising that threshold is what we always talk about because then you can just get more work done for the same cost. And that is how you get better. If you stay just below it, you can work for a long time. And if you stay right at it, you can work for up to an hour. And if you go over it, then you're on borrowed time. Well, and if you go over it, it is OCR though. We go in and out of, I think, surpassing our lactate threshold constantly. So you slow down the rate in which you're dumping in lactate and that bucket has a chance to get below the fill line again. And we can kind of get back to working rate and and then we surpass it again on something and then we hopefully slow the production by slowing down our, our output. But I think the big thing is like with lactate and threshold work is that we a lot of people just don't do enough of it, I think is what the, the theme of 2020 needs to be, especially because we were sitting in this weird like build fitness phase and not race a bunch is a lot of people go out and do their their intervals, their mile repeats, their quarter mile repeats. Uh Fartlek style work, which is all great. It's great for building run economy and that really top end sort of efficiency. But um, threshold work is where it's at, man. And it's like one of those things, if you haven't been doing it or you're not doing it, that's really where we're building true fitness. And so putting more of that that work in just seems to be like one thing people were really curious about knowing more about. And that means can be any sort of work. Threshold, simple tempo threshold runs for, you know, 20 to 40 to 60 minutes. It could be shorter repeats at threshold effort. It could be all sorts of different things, but that should be a staple in your training if you're actually looking to build your underlying fitness, which is racing. So threshold, Mm -hmm. threshold, threshold is king. It is. It is king. It is staying power and it is something that's sustainable year round. When we start talking really fast work, faster than, than your anaerobic threshold, significantly faster, it's something that you can't do too often because it's so stressful and it has such a big adaptation that you can only do it so long before you peak. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can sustain threshold work pretty much year round if you want to. And because we have such a long season as non-professional athletes, we don't peak for very many things. Unless you are a pro who peaks for a few points per year, you don't peak much. You just try to be in really good shape all year round and continually progress while the con- the continuum rests upon anaerobic threshold work. If you can work around there, you can keep improving year round without worrying about accidental peaking. And that's why we drive it home so much. We think it's the crux of OCR training and it's the crux of the everyman training. Mm -hmm. What would you say? And then we can move on to the next thing with threshold work. Where do you think people should start just because we're in the base phase, so to speak right now? Um, Like what would you suggest people do right now if we're going to work on that as part of this current phase? Well, I think that the three best ways of working on your your lactate threshold is the first one is to do a steady run, anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes, running at somewhere between half marathon and marathon pace. Mm -hmm. You can calculate that based off your time trials. You can do it based off a percent of your heart rate. Um, The second way to do it is to do what's called cruise intervals or threshold intervals. You take a normal tempo run, and you just split it up into intervals with very short recovery in between. 
So now you're doing 30 to 40 minutes worth of intervals with short 30 to 45, maybe 60 second recovery in between those. And then you can run them a little bit quicker so you can get the same systemic response in your body as holding a steady pace throughout a steady run. And then the final way to do it, I love to do it as compromised work. I love to do it as a workout that I'll do a lot this time of year is one minute of work and then five to six minutes of running. And I might do lunges or sled push or um, burpees or ground overhead. And then I hop on the treadmill or outside and I just run at like a seven to eight out of 10 effort. And I just work on clearing lactate. All yep. the accumulation I did from the hard, intense work, I'm getting it out while running at a fast yet sustainable rate. And those are the three ways I really like to use it in the off season. And uphill or as many of that as I need to on a yep. treadmill, up a hill, uphill lactate threshold workouts are just fantastic in my mind. I'm going to do one on uh, Wednesday bracket. You can hold me to it or Thursday, one of the two. Um, one thing I'd add to that right now in this like sort of base phase, that's kind of work on our lactate threshold is the woodsy style of training where it's just cut downs, like just go out for a run, mm -hmm. start easy and plan to get faster as you go. And, and starting, let's say for me, for an example, is maybe I'll run a first couple miles at seven minute pace next to at 645, next to at 630, next to at 615 and try to compounding home under six minute pace for the last two. And I'm going to spend what, 30 to 50, 30 minutes, probably somewhere in that, in that, you know, aerobic or anaerobic benefit or that lactate threshold improvement air zone, heart rate zone. And that's going to do really good benefit. Is it super purposeful? No. But is it working what I need it to work? Yeah. So like cut downs are like great this time. They are. It's such a good off-season workout as mm -hmm. part of a long run or whatever you're going to do. And I would refer people back to our definitions, our running terminology 101 episode, where we go into more detail on what these words all mean and examples of all of them. So I would go back at the end of 2020, refresh your running uh, term knowledge. Next thing I want to jump into, which I think was a theme of 2020, in talking to the pros and talking to our guests, the thing that they taught me I would say more than anything is the amount of time spent on recovery mm. versus the everyday human, including myself. Um, I think we didn't get a ton of questions about recovery, but if you go back and listen, the themes uh, amongst everybody who is good at this sport is prioritizing recovery and spending as much, sometimes more time on recovery than they do on their actual workouts. And I just think there's a really big lesson to take away from that. Everybody you look up to spends a lot of time doing the unglorious things that matter. They do. And there's there's no need to even add to that, that you mm. just have to do that. You have to do what they do and not look at it while well, they're pros trying to race for a living. Yeah, but you're trying to be active for the, the length of your living life where mm -hmm. they need to have this for their performance and we need to have it for a happy, healthy life. The work we do is inherently damaging to our body and the recovery reverses that process. It allows us to be sustainable throughout the course of our entire lives. And so it will make you better in the short term, but it will also allow you to do what you love doing throughout your entire life. Yeah. And I am a guilty party. <laughs> I have slacked on that. And that's been one of the greatest things that surgeries this year have shown me is that the prehab and rehab is it's just imperative to my process. Mm. And by recovery, we mean like, it's not like going out for recovery runs, which is part of recovering from efforts, but we're talking about like the rehab stuff, the range of motion stuff, the time, for example, Kempson spends in the 
the pool or Johnny Luna Lima spends doing his Taylor Cruz type mobility work. We're talking about stretching, plyometrics, all the little things that matter, soft tissue work, um, to simply putting your feet up and just chilling once in a while. Like all of those things matter. Um, another theme, and then I want to get into like lessons learned. What, what did 2020 teach you and what did it teach me? But another theme, something that made me really proud from the listeners and just seeing this in my own personal philosophy and bias on strength work is seeing the trend to the heavyweight low rep count from us listeners based more on me just shoving it down your throat. And it makes me happy to see right now is the time to be doing that stuff, going into higher rep work, single leg work, um, more functional fitness stuff is going to be coming, but I'm just seeing it everywhere right now. And just to hone back in on that point, like if, if you're not doing it in season, maybe that's okay. But right now, if we're talking about foundational strength, re-raising the ceiling where your base is starting at, it's the time. And so I've just seen a lot of that this year and people kind of, I don't know, buying into my personal philosophy there and it just makes me happy to see Bracken. That's all. It's great. And, and you've been an influence on me for that and in turn an influence on my athletes. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I can't stand that term, my athletes, the athletes I work with. Okay. Yeah, mine. I don't own them. <laughs> it's a partnership. But the amount of people who've come back from an off season, myself included, not off season, but a surgery season, mm-hmm. they've been able to run downhill or run pretty powerfully right away. Not because of fitness, but because of stable hips, core, legs. I mean, when your strength the, the cost of when you when you build raw strength, the cost of repeating movements at much less resistance, for example, the run motion or climbing a hill or whatever becomes significantly less costly because you're using a lower percentage of what you're capable of because you've built raw power and strength. So it doesn't necessarily directly translate to endurance, but when it's applied to endurance, I think coupled with proper workouts and like your aerobic capacity, it does benefit. It just does. It makes, it makes, it makes things less costly. And also you have to think about like once the season gets going and we start putting in more intense work and our strength training starts to shift a little bit, like we're going to lose a percentage of our strength. I I lose 10 to 20% of my raw power by the end of the season, but I'm still, but I've made, but I built it so high in the off season that if I lose 10 to 20%, who cares? I'm still way stronger than I need to be for this sport. I'm lighter by that time and I'm performing well. So as long as we raise our strength ceiling high now, that can take a hit throughout the season, but we're not gonna lose as much as if we never did this to start with. And so that's why it's so important is just to maintain as much of it as possible once championship season starts. And the way we do that is to build it up in the off season. And that's why it's important really. 100%. Makes me proud to see. This weekend I did uh, my first long run since that the Tennessee Ultra. And I did it solo for the first time this year. And there I was doing some twisty descents and there the ground was smooth, but it had divots. If that makes sense. It's not super yeah. rocky or technical, but it had divots. And every once in a while your foot would land one to six inches lower than you expected it to land. And when you're descending happen. hard, and you know, th- these were sub five minute pace descents, they're pretty quick descents. When you're descending hard, that's a really jarring blow to suddenly you land six inches lower and you take that pound on your hamstring and your hip and your glute. And two or three times I thought, oh, that didn't feel good. That was okay. Mm, makes me worried about your knees. Yeah, but it, it's fine. And I realized that's the kind of thing that might have caused a tweak or a twinge last year. But I'm more 
built up through these areas this year and I could I could withstand that that jarring impact because I had some strength and stability to absorb it. Mm-hmm. And sure, some weight gain might come along with that, building a little muscle mass and all that stuff too. Just trust the process. Mm-hmm. Put all these pieces we talk about together, trust it. So when the time comes, you're going to be better than you've ever been and you just have to take your lumps. And sometimes it is gaining a couple of pounds of muscle and losing a little speed because of the phase of training you're in. But again, I like that analogy you used about just raising where your base level to your fitness is. And that's what you're doing right now. And that heavy strength work is part of it. So um, to bring that full circle, what I was doing there, Bracken. All right. And I'm going to bring it back even fuller circle, Kirk. Oh, I love fuller circles. Yes. Fuller circle is things we learned from the year. I'm going to start with things I learned other people don't do normally. Starting this podcast was interesting because we used it as a way to put out information and help the running community and the OCR community as a whole get better at coaching themselves, writing better workouts, planning better. But it also bounced a lot of information back at us from other people. Some of it was really good. Some of it was really enlightening. And one of the enlightening pieces that I got is that the vast majority of people really, really suck at warmups. Oh, they're so bad at warm-up. just not warming up well, especially before quality efforts or races. I can't tell you how many times I, I heard from someone, wow, I tried to warm up this weekend for the first time before my intervals, and it was really nice. I thought, for the first time, I can't imagine doing an interval workout without a warm-up. I, it has to feel so fantastic the first time you try it, but mm-hmm. the average person does not warm up properly before quality work. I was appalled at the number of people who jump right into racing and training. It is, and we're talking quality work. We're not talking recovery runs, go out and start running and run easy, but incredible. And then to the point being of the number of people who go out, do a little bit of jogging, do to do five minutes and never actually raise their heart rate Mm -hmm. or their respiratory rate and get their body truly start flushing a little lactate. Like they never get themselves into actually ready for those sort of efforts. And so that's a good point. I forgot about that point. And I'm not knocking them because why would you? If you'd never been taught that, why would you do it? There was a good number of people that I started working with this year or messaging with. And I'd say, so what is your, on a, on a plan I'd send someone, it would say full race warm up or half race warm up. Mm-hmm. I'd say, just do your typical race warm up here on this day. And you can do half of your race warm up on this day because it's a less intense effort. And I get kind of this confused reply back. I say, well, what's your, what's your typical warm-up? They said, well, I just kind of do, you know, what I do before a CrossFit class or before a lift. Then I think, oh yeah, of course. You've been taught a warm-up from who you've worked with and you've worked with a strength trainer or mm-hmm. a fitness coach or a CrossFit class. And, and so they would just take their CrossFit warm-up and do that before a race or before a tempo run or before intervals. And it, that makes sense logically, but it also makes sense that we need to pair our warm-up to the task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of amusing to see that. And you have to earn the right to warm up mm-hmm. by gaining fitness. So if you are a weekend warrior, meaning like you're not sure if you can run three miles, warm up might not quite be for you. Just be happy to be out there and running. But all these people listening to this podcast have earned some kind of fitness. And that means warranting some sort of warm up to pre- uh, prepare your body for an effort. It's funny. I have a couple of like uh, just people I follow on Strava and a couple accomplished uh, endurance athletes, even in the ultra world. I have an athlete right now who is going four to six miles to warm up Hmm. and putting in, in purposeful bouts. And I hate to say it, but her workouts are more effective when she does this. I follow, let's see an athlete, Chad Trammell, for example, 
I don't know if you follow him on Strava. He used to run, he used to run and, and you know where I'm going to go with this. Cause you've seen what he does then. And he used to do Spartans and he'd be a guy who could step on the scene and really crush. He does what ultras now and a lot of longer stuff, but um, look at him on Strava four miles of warm up before he does his six mile tempo or his thousand meter repeats. And he's an older athlete. Um, but that's how important it is to guys like that, like six, four miles or six miles of warm ups with, half mile pickups in there just to get ready for your interval sessions is mind blowing, mm-hmm. but he knows that's what it takes to get quality work in. So it's all relative, yeah. but point being is like warming up is like warming up. Folks. Like it is like sure. really good. doing real work before the real, real work starts. Yeah. You earn the right to do your real work by putting work in first. And of course people don't need to do that in my level of fitness right now. I'm doing about 12 minutes of warming up because any more than that, and I'm going to start to sacrifice my workout. When I'm in great fitness, I do about 20 minute jog before I start my dynamic work in my strides. When I'm in terrible fitness, it's more like five to eight minutes of jogging. You you pare it down or up to your, your fitness level. But yeah, it has to be used. And we like the cold car analogy for that. If we still have doubters out there, <laughs> would you jump into your car in the middle of winter and race right away? Or would you let it warm up a little bit before you before you drag raced it? That's all you have to know. If you do it for your car, you have to do it for your body. It's so true. And, and we're, you know, totally no differences between mechanical and soft tissue or anything like that. But. No, no, no. The thing about analogies is <laughs> you have to just embrace them and ignore any discrepancy that could ever <laughs> negatively impact your analogy. It's so true. Um, 2020, what it has taught me, to be to be honest, from the response we've gotten from listeners to I think audience like engagement from you guys, like going through like our Instagram and hearing what people have to say is that um, there was such a thirst for knowledge that was not being quenched amongst like the OCR and endurance crowd. I think, I think the podcasts that are out there are getting better. I think for a number of years, um, the podcast industry in our sport has done a disservice to the actual s- sport and training side and the amount of like thirst and appreciation for real applicable knowledge was incredible. I mean, I thought when we started this Bracken that the athlete interviews were going to be the highlight. In fact, the training Tuesday was a, by the way, we said, ah, maybe we'll throw in a training Tuesday once in a while, uh, maybe a 20 minute quick blip to just get a few points across when it made sense. But the athlete interviews are going to be the bread and butter little Little, little did we know that the training Tuesdays have become the most embraced part of what we do. And the athlete interviews have become the, by the way, I hate to say it mm-hmm. as far as takeaways. And so just led me to, led me to understand that the thirst for knowledge is real, which means we have some real student of sport out there listening to this thing. That's pretty damn cool. Taught me that. It's really funny because <laughs> you summed that up well. With my teaching background, I understood to be true that you have to suck people in with an exciting story or an experiment or an activity. And then once you have them hooked, you slip in some learning. Uh-huh, yeah. And that, that's, that's, the, that's the education process. And so we came into this saying, we're going to interview these athletes and then we'll have a little takeaway from their interview and maybe we'll, we'll show their favorite workout as Training Tuesday. That was our original plan. If you go back to our first Training Tuesday, we took Carrie Tolfs and the Olympian and we recorded like a 20 minutes of like, what are your favorite workouts, Carrie? Mm-hmm. Give the listener something. And our intent was to do that with every athlete. Just yeah. give a little training blip. But why didn't we do that? Brad? 
no one, no one responded to that. People had questions about the workouts. They had questions about her terminology. They had questions about her process. They didn't have questions about the workouts themselves. It wasn't how many reps should I do or out. It's why are we working at that pace? And what does that, that term tempo really mean? And when would you use a workout like that in your season? And we suddenly realized people don't care as much about golden workouts as they might think based on the hero workouts you see online. They're curious when they should use them and why and how. And we realized, all right, we'll try it again. I think we tried it with one other athlete and then it just hit home that, nope, this is not it. So we we made a pivot and yeah, that it was really, I was pr foolishly proud of everyone that they were yeah. that thirsty for knowledge. Because again, I'm used to trying to convince people you should want to learn mm -hmm. and I'll trick you into it. But here it was, people were saying, hey, throw it at us. We want to learn. They asked for an episode of just all the running terms. It makes me impressed, like what people have accomplished and like knowing how blindly some people were going through their training yeah. and still getting performances. It's a, I'm hoping to see this correlate to a I mean, I don't know how many people really listen to this that are going to be competing, but I hope it raises the level of the field if some people have been able to apply this knowledge. I got a Christmas card from a client of mine. Uh, she's really good with words. Um, and so, and she writes a lot and whatever. So this wouldn't be atypical of her to get reflective, but it had said, you know, thinking back about, and this is a client I see in the gym. I coach her outside of the gym. So I see her regularly. And she said, thinking back about the podcast, she's like, I think you and Bracken, have like single-handedly like nurtured the running public through a really shitty year by giving them direction and purpose. And you should give yourselves credit for that. And I thought that was really nice of her to say. And I'm going to say I kind of agree with her based on the feedback we've gotten from you listeners. It's been pretty dang cool, I would say. Um, and so that's the plan is, I mean, when we talk about what 2020 has been and what 2021 is going to be, like, we're going to keep finding ways to bring that knowledge in best we can. Yeah, it's blown me away that in this year, this gap year, people have taken things seriously. Because my next point here was that things that a lot of people aren't doing is setting very specific goals. That's something I took out of all our athlete interviews is that these people have a plan and they have goals and their why, it doesn't matter. Like They don't have to search for their why because it's on every wall in their house. Every mm -hmm. workout's designed around the why. And so they don't need motivation for training. And a decent amount of our listeners already had that. And they were so dialed in. But the vast majority mm -hmm. don't. And they're, oh, I struggle with motivation. But throughout this year, having people send their stories into us, their messages, their comments, talking about finding their motivation through just choosing goals that were mm -hmm. specific and pointed and relevant. And suddenly they're they're making it through this gap year, this non-racing year with motivation and improvement just because they identified what they're going after. Pretty cool, isn't it? It is. And it's a great reminder that when races start back up, we can't flop back into, oh, I'm just going to race every weekend and mm -hmm. my goal is to be good. We still have to have specific goals throughout the race season that keeps us on point training-wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and then to piggyback on, on that is you've mentioned this and I maybe mentioned it a couple of times as we chat out these different topics, but I would say, you know, for anything we say, okay, we're giving, we're giving to the running community and the OCR community, which we are, but, um, God, I'm going to say the two people that have gotten the most out of this would be me and you. I would say re-talking through the lessons, going back and putting ourselves under that microscope. Like, yeah, you could look at this as maybe like a selfless act, this, 
throwing knowledge at you with no expectation of return, but it is a selfish act in a lot of ways. And I realize that it's just helped me hone in on a lot of the things that you forget about or you brush aside. I mean, the the PSAs are half talking to myself and <laughs> talking to you. The revealing of your weaknesses as an athlete and telling yourself you need to be better. I mean, you've made a couple of proclamations over episodes, especially recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we would have gotten there. I would have had to be as reflective um, without this. So like, really, <laughs> I think we're taking as much out of this as anybody. Yeah, it's been bizarre this year how the more we talk about other people's running, the more you and I are really talking about ourselves. Well, and you see yourself in every athlete because we've Mm -hmm. been there. We've done the mistakes. We've made them. We forget we've made them and continue to make them. I've grown more this year as a coach and athlete than any other single year since leaving college because I've spent more time thinking about and talking about the, uh, maybe not thinking, but talking about the sport out loud. Mm -hmm. And so it's been incredibly selfish for me, for myself, because I mean, you and I are writing better programs than we did last year. Mm -hmm. And my training is more pointed and specific than it was last year. And it's because I've been telling everyone else what to do, but it can't help but be reflective upon myself throughout this. So I, people are always like, I hope you don't stop doing this. Like I'd be a fool to stop doing this because I now need this. These are my therapy sessions. (laughs) And when you stop, you stop learning, you stop growing, like forcing me to do more research myself on things we're going to talk about, or just re-diving back into lessons learned in the past and then getting all the athlete questions and everything else, like lessons other people learn, like good students are going to learn lessons from lessons others have learned, for example. So it's been, I don't know, pretty well-rounded, I would say that way. Yeah, it's been fantastic. What else, what else have you learned from 2020? Anything else come to mind? I've learned that we need races more and less than we thought we did. Mm-hmm. more in that we didn't realize how much we truly need the competitive outlet and less in that a lot of us got through to the end of this year, loving running more than we did at the beginning of it. It may have been a roller coaster. We may have had some low points, but that's kind of how relationships go. After some lows, you hit some pretty good highs and you raise that basement up a little bit. And mm-hmm. so as much as we craved the races, a lot of us grew to know running better than we knew running. Yeah. I can't argue with that even a little. And the people who met the the current situation halfway by creating their own events, tackling big and scary things, instead of relying on extrinsic racing to do so, they went back and did some things that they probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise. Something as simple as me going and running 37 miles on my 37th birthday, um, which isn't a crazy feat. It was long for me, but... I wouldn't have done that if racing was going on. I would have had the I would have had Big Bear the same weekend. I wouldn't have been going and doing that crap. Right. No way. So it gave people really opportunity to break through some barriers. And I agree with you. I think people fell in love with running instead of out of running, embraced the process, enjoyed the non-stress of the racing season. And I don't know, that's pretty powerful. People didn't let off the gas. I thought no. they would. They didn't. And that's paired, I think, with the realization that coming into this year the general running public does not time trial. Yeah. I In see fact, that. a decent amount of relatively successful athletes have messaged us privately and been like, oh man, I've got to get back to time trialing again. And I think that that was a big step forward for a lot of people realizing that you need benchmark fitness metrics at all times throughout your year. And mm-hmm. that helped satisfy a bit of that competitive itch. As a side note, um, one thing I maybe regret a little bit is... I was shocked at the number of some of the high level athletes in our direct competition 
mm. who didn't have a lot of method to their madness, who chose to haphazardly and I don't know, hodgepodge train, if I'm being honest. And now they're putting together purposeful training plans. And I'm like, shit, did we just make our competition a little better? <laughs> There's a few athletes out there that I was surprised yeah. with. Like, wow, this is what you really do to get as good as you've gotten. The ones with the non-running background sometimes, especially. I'm like, oh, crap. What We pigeonholed ourselves here, didn't we, Bracken? I got my first taste for that back when, when I was doing the old leaderboard fiasco. Mm-hmm. And I said it then and I believed it halfway. And I repeat it now, believing it fully. That mm-hmm. there could not be a better reason to become irrelevant or replaced in the sport than by your own creation. Couldn't be a better reason. If I have a hand in somebody replacing me, that's an honorable exit. That's true. So yeah, it's 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 weird to think that we a couple people have messaged and we've realized that we've actively helped them maybe beat us. In the <laughs> but at the same time, that's a pretty cool reason. That is true. I have at least three people right now who I've started working with, who on their questionnaire that I had them fill out, wrote down my goals. Like their goal is my goal for next year. Really? So if I help them attain it, it blocks me <laughs> on that goal. So mm. it's interesting getting to that stage of, all right, now I'm directly training my competitors. Yeah. Pass the torch is all right. Yes, it Anything is. else in 2020 before I move on to just a little bit of a promise to you folks about what 2021 is going to bring on our end? Anything? <laughs> Oh man, Kirk, I could go on all day about things we learned, but the final piece that people were not doing and that I've been really proud of people embracing is journaling their workouts, Mm. the workout log. We deserve, you deserve royalties from Bic, by the way. (laughs) Continue. It became almost a running joke about the multicolored pen, but I can't even quantify the number of pictures we've got taken in of people with a multicolored pen now. And it makes me happy. Not about the pen. That makes me laugh, but about the fact that people are tracking their training now. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, I, th- I thought you were going to continue off of that. Yeah, I agree. It's appalling. I, I mean, the, the frequency in which I thumb through my training log is at least weekly, maybe more. I did it yesterday, actually. Um, and that tool, as a tool that has gone not used or misused, is incredible. Strava isn't the same, by the way. It's <laughs> just not the same. It's great. It's not the same as pen and paper writing down other metrics. And so, yeah, that's true. We've got that going too, which is good. That's on you, I would say. Oh, I'll take it. Yeah, you should take it. Do you know I have a running log? So I have them all, by the way. I started keeping my first true running log the summer before going into my freshman year of college. So that was 2001. I have a running log every year. So I'm on my 20, I'll be on my 21st year of running log this year. Isn't that crazy? I have them all, all of them. How many do you have? I don't know, Kirk. I have, so I started keeping one my freshman year of college down at Campbell University. It was one of the only good things that our coach down there did for me was he mandated that everyone on the team have a notebook and he even provided the notebook. And so we'd get back in North Carolina summers, (laughs) dripping sweat, and you'd sit down there in his musty office and you would fill out your daily log. The moment you finished, before we stretched or anything, Mm -hmm. and you did it inside because outside was too hot. And then we you put it back on the pile and you'd have sweat stains all over it. And I took that with me when I left. And that was the first one I kept. But I've had multiple versions. So I have several years that are all on a Google Sheet. I have several that are in Word. I have several that are in physical notebooks. Mine's all been in notebooks. My college coach required us to keep a log over the summer as freshmen and coming freshmen and everybody, of course. 
And then during season, this is the entire season. On Monday, when you show up for practice, there was a box. You threw your log in the box. My coach reviewed the, the, the logs every Monday or Tuesday. We got them back with notes on them. And then we were required to fill it out the next week, dump it off in the box on Monday every single week. There's power in that. That's a good coach. I adore him. He's the best coach I've ever had. That is really good coaching. That is good coaching. To hear that you had an awesome college coach, I'm very envious of that because those are, it's sad to say, but they're few and far between people who can coach both the athlete and the person. Him and I follow each other on Strava. He's like 80 something still going out and getting after it. It's fantastic. 2021, this is what we're promise, promising to you guys. I'm saying it right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. First of all, we have apparel on the way. Yes, we do. We're going to be selling some running public apparel. And listen, we both have an impeccable sense of style, folks. And these are going to be well-fitting, comfortable t-shirts to start with that look pretty good too. We're going to expand from there. But that order is going through hopefully next week, Bracken, once we get our samples in. So first, we're committing to running public gear, aren't we? Yes, we are. And that process is already rolling. The shirts are designed. We have, what, nine color options picked out? Yeah, we're going to limit it down to three. But Yeah, we're going to pair that nine down to three and put those up there. And uh, these are the shirts that I make for my personal training business. And they're the most comfy. You want to wear them all the time shirts. So trust me, you're going to want some. Second thing, what are we promising to the people, Bracken? We were just talking about this before we started recording. Running public training plan. Tell them more. We are very close. We're talking single digit days away from releasing the running public training system on Training Peaks. It will be located there. It will be community based in that anytime someone joins, they will join up on the same workout day that all the rest of the running public athletes are doing. Um, this is not to be confused with personal coaching. This is this is a community style, like you all show up to your running group on a Thursday night and you all do the mm-hmm. same workout and you do it to different levels. That's how this will be. This is going to be Netflix style where it is monthly subscription. It is going to be obnoxiously cheap and accessible and you are going to get a stupid amount of information and good training for the minimal amount of money that you will pay to be a part of this. This is an extension of the podcast. This is not a coaching service where we're going to make millions. This is a really cheap, accessible training style for you that will get you to any race you want. Like get you into any race in really good shape. Yes. Like ready to race without our help. Um, But yes, it is not personalized coaching, but it is the framework of what we believe is going to be foundational, purposeful work to make you a better athlete. That will include both strength and uh, run and OCR side of things. So we're excited to launch that as well. And this isn't a few time a week quality day type deal. This is a daily scripted training plan. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. We're, we're we're giving you a lot of a lot of coaching for, for what we're going to charge for this. Again, it's no interaction. It's no custom. It's no changing. But you're getting a pretty good situation here too. So that we're committing to you. We're going to wrap all that stuff up by no later than the end of the month of January. I would say just to give us a cushion. We got to get all the the back end stuff fired up. We don't even know how to take payment yet. Like we got to get that stuff figured out. Um, anything else we want to commit to the people in 2021, Bracken? Yeah. We haven't talked about this, but we have non-verbally talked about it, Kirk, through our eyes and our body language. (laughs) We we have received more and more messages lately from people saying, hey, I respect the the fact that you're not trying to monetize the podcast, but it's time for you guys to start doing that. 
We have no designs on selling big sponsorship to this thing or making you pay for content. The moment we sell a sponsor on this is the moment we lose the ability to talk about any brand we want dispassionately. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about Kirk and I's deal with VJ is that we are allowed to race in whatever shoes we want. They don't have to be VJ shoes. My contract even reads that you, I, I should use VJ when suitable to the course. So there's no pressure. So we talk about Hoka, we talk about Skechers, we talk about Solomon because we have ultimate freedom to do that. And if we yeah. sign a sponsorship deal, we now can't talk about competitors and promote other brands and promote other products. And so is there a possibility that we monetize this podcast in the future? Of course, because we would never turn our back on the idea of supporting our families. But we mm -hmm. started this as getting information out there and that's what it's staying as. And we don't want to lose the ability to give out whatever information we feel like at the drop of a hat with no oversight. Yeah, I agree. It's been incredible, actually. I mean, how many messages, Christ, I got Amazon gift cards from listeners yeah. that I didn't ask for anything and they wanted to send it as a thank you. We've had a number of suggestions to, I want to pay you guys, start a Patreon so I can donate every month, which maybe, I don't know, but yeah. it's been it's been pretty incredible. If you really want to pay us, just message us. I'll give you my Venmo. <laughs> really? 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 Yeah, uh, like if, if your life's not complete without sending <laughs> me money, send me some money. <laughs> Bless the people's hearts, the good people. But that's not our intent. That's not our goal. And that's not our plan. So we really appreciate the offers. But this is kind of, we want to be able to do whatever we want with this thing. Yep. And the other commitment is just we're going to keep this baby rolling into 2021. And as always, training questions and topics are very welcome. As Training Tuesdays, we will start diving back and rehashing and maybe modifying some old topics. Still going to be throwing you some new stuff uh, as well. But um, deeper dives into certain things may be happening. So always send us those messages. And there is one thing. I have one ask of the listener. That's it. It's one thing that I want I want for Christmas. I wanted for Christmas. I didn't ask for. And that is, if you're thinking about writing a rating or a review, could you do it? I would love that. That'd be like opening a Christmas gift every time I read a new one. And those just make my day. And, I, and we, we asked for a lot of them in the beginning. And we gave you a return. Like, hey, we'll give you a free month of coaching or whatever. Um, but I just want to ask for a damn review from anybody who hasn't given one that still enjoys listening to the podcast. Um, we keep climbing the iTunes ranks. I don't know if you're watching, uh, Bracken. I just checked last week. You know, we started by cracking the top 50 and the top 40. Now we're about to crack the top 30 in the running side of things. Um, and it just takes time, consistency over time. There are a lot of podcasts out there that um, have been around for five years. And even though their ratings aren't as good or they don't have a ton of episodes, it's you know, duration over time, um, and then rating and reviews that all factor in. So um, if we could uh, get a few more of those, I would love that. Anything else? Just thank you. We have people that have stuck with us for a year now. Kirk and I talked early on that, all right, what are we going to do with Training Tuesday when people are sick of hearing about these topics? Or what are we going to do when they don't want to hear us twice per week? Or when our numbers stop dropping off, start dropping off pretty significantly? Or how long, how long are people going to want to hear us talk about running? What are we going to have to do to interest people? And we had several ideas and they're still sitting there on the back burner for the next stage of what we have to do when we lose the excitement. But it's been a year. People are mm -hmm. still listening and they still ask questions and they're engaged about how to become better runners. And if you haven't noticed, Kirk and I are passionate about people becoming better runners <laughs> and better people. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a year of your time. When Spotify released their end of year stats and people started 
screenshotting and sending it to us or taking us in stories. And we saw the number of hours, hundreds of hours that people have spent in 2020 listening to us talk at them. <laughs> it's crazy. It doesn't seem like something that should work. And yet you guys have, have made it work. So thank you so much for your loyalty and for your time and for being open-minded about the type of running we want to talk about. So thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, folks. We will see you in 2021. Thank you.